0: Good morning. morning. I'm Pastor Nancy. Welcome to worship here at South Park Church. I'm so excited that you're here on this particular Sunday. Pastor Kyle is away on vacation. Um, Hopefully he's being renewed and recharged and I'm really excited and grateful that he assigned me Wonder Woman. I thought that was pretty cool that he would let me, you know how he likes his superheroes and he gave me this one. So I was like, all right, this is really, really cool. Um, But it it is a great story. There's a lot of themes in it, and I can't wait to just share that with you this morning. But let's go to God in prayer first. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, I pray that you would speak to me, through me, if necessary in spite of me, but always, always beyond me, so that the truth of your word might not be hidden. Amen. I want to give you just a little bit of backstory about Wonder Woman. Um, In 1940, a gentleman by the name of Dr. William Moulton Marsden, who was a Harvard-educated psychologist, an attorney, and an inventor, was approached by Star Comics and asked to create a new character for their comic comic series. Uh, Dr. Marsden was a consulting psychologist with Universal Studios. He was a writer of screenplays and books and magazine articles, and he was also, as a psychologist, a little bit concerned about the effects and the influence of comics on young people in that day and time. He thought that, in some ways, there was a negative influence, and he had this vision that he would create a superhero, a new kind of superhero, who would manage to triumph over evil using the power of love. And his wife suggested that that superhero be female, and that is how Wonder Woman was created. And this image is the image of the very first depiction of her in the fall of 1941 when she was um, created. And I think it's interesting, one of the little side notes that I learned that I was getting ready for today is that Dr. Marsden, well, first of all, let me tell you that one of Wonder Woman's um, resources that she has is this item called the Golden Lasso of Truth. In the trailer, you saw her use that on Steve Trevor, where she she wraps it around him and she's asking him questions and he has to tell the truth. He can't not lie. Well, interestingly enough, Dr. Marsden was the inventor of the lie detector test. So he gives her this tool that he has created. And all I could think is, how cool would it be to have a Golden Lasso of Truth? how could we use that? Who could we use that on? Where would that come in handy? But it's just a movie, as my husband says. It's the movies, Nancy. It's the movies. So we know that Diana is the daughter of Hippolyta, who is queen of the Amazons. uh, And Diana is Princess Diana. She's the princess of this island that they live on called Themyscira. Um, She does not know who her father is. That's been kept from her. And she lives on this island with all women. Amazons are tall women, athletic women, and it's an all-female island. And she happens to be the only child that's on that island. Amazons believe they have a sacred duty to protect and defend the world. And they believe that there's a god, the god of war, whose name is Ares, who has poisoned the hearts of humanity and stirs up conflict and stirs up wars Um, among all of the people on the earth. And so once he is defeated, then there will be peace in the world. So they, they, they know this god, Aries, and they want to do something so that the world is peaceful for humanity. And you saw the young Diana in the trailer, and she is eager to learn how to, be, how to fight. She sees all these practices going on, the women practicing with each other, learning the different skills, the martial arts skills, and she wants to do that. And her mom says, no, 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 we don't. You're, you're too precious to me. I don't want you to do that. But what happens is the queen's sister, um, Diana's aunt, goes behind her back and does begin to train her and train her in in all of these arts that she needs to know. And when the queen finds out, initially she's pretty angry, but then she says to her sister, you know, train her hard. Make sure she's really good. Do the best that you can with her. And so this first clip that I want you to see is a scene where Diana and her aunt, who's named Antiope, are training together. It's pretty clear that Diana is very gifted. She's strong. She's powerful. She's beautiful. That iconic Wonder Woman pose where she crosses her wrists and that power just goes out from her. Did you see the expression on her face? She didn't know she could do that. She's clueless about these powers that she has. She does not know who her father is, but we know that her father is Zeus, who is king of the gods. So she has supernatural powers that she will be able to use, but she doesn't know that yet. So the peace that's on this island, this really idyllic, just beautiful island, is shattered when during World War II, a pilot by the name of Steve Trevor, who is an American who works for the British who's spying on the Germans, (laughs) crashes into the sea near the island. He has stolen the book with um, with the I can't think of the word. The, the book that has the resources for this nerve gas that's being created. He has stolen that, flown away. The Germans have chased him. He crashes into the sea, and Diana rescues him and saves his life. But the Germans are right behind him. They come to the island, and there's this huge battle scene between the Germans and the Amazons, and the Amazons win. The Amazons win. And so Steve is on the island, and he's recuperating from his injuries, and he talks with Diana about what's going on in the world outside of Themyscira. He tells her about what he calls the war to end all wars, and when she hears this, She's convinced that Aries is at the heart of this, that Aries is involved, and she feels called to fight on behalf of humanity. This is what she's supposed to do. She's supposed to protect humanity. So when she hears this is going on, she feels like, I've got to go and do something about this. And Steve tells her, I love this quote from him, he says, when you see something wrong happening in the world, you can either do nothing or you can do something. And I already tried nothing. I already tried nothing. Her mother tells her not to go, but when Diana hears of the suffering in the world, when she hears um, about the innocent people that are involved, even though they are total strangers to her, she sees the opportunity to help. Her heart calls her to respond. She doesn't turn the blind eye. She doesn't give in to the pressure from others, saying you really shouldn't do that or you can't do that. Um, She's not afraid she's gonna go. And Diana's heart basically will not let her stay. She says, I cannot stand by while innocent lives are lost. I have to go. And I think it's so powerful that Diana responds to the threat of evil in the world out of love. She genuinely cares for the people even though she doesn't know who they are. She chooses to go before she even realizes the superpowers that she possesses. And she's a different kind of hero from many of the comic heroes that we know, the superheroes that we know. Peter Parker, who plays Spider-Man, really acts out on revenge. He's driven by revenge because of the killing of his guardians, Aunt May and Uncle Ben. And Batman is really a vigilante who's fighting against evil. But Diana, Wonder Woman, is, is, she operates from her heart. And she chooses to eat, leave that island with Steve, even though her mother tells her that she'll never be able to return. If you go, you cannot come back. She's willing to make that sacrifice. And Diana's response to her mother is Who will I be if I stay? Who will I be if I don't follow my heart? What a powerful, powerful question. What if we ask ourselves that question whenever we come face-to-face with the needs of our world? Poverty, lack of clean water, world hunger, immigration issues, affordable housing, bullying, the need for people to know Jesus. Who are we if we turn away from the needs of the world? Diana was not going to be able to live with herself if she did nothing. What about us? What calls you to action? What is it that's tugging at your heart? What compels you to do something instead of nothing? So Steve and Diana, as the story continues, arrive in London, and it's a major culture shock to Diana. She doesn't understand the customs. She doesn't understand the clothing, and she really wants to go directly to where the battle is because she wants to take out Aries. She thinks once I take him out, this is all solved. But Steve needs to work with the British intelligence because he wants them to give him permission to go on a mission where he can take out a German general whose name is Ludendorff and the doctor who is creating this poison gas. Her name is Dr. Maru, but as you heard in the trailer, uh, the guys in the trenches call her Dr. Poison. This gas that she is creating has devastating effects, and it will have devastating effects in the world. Uh, but the leaders in Britain, when Steve comes to them, they're basically working on an armistice with Germany—a a way to stop the fighting—and so they've refused to let him go through with his plan. But Steve is determined, and he opts to move forward without their permission. He's gonna—he's gonna do what he needs to do. And what he does is he pulls together this really motley crew of guys who are gonna be on the mission with him, um, and they're—they're they're made up by. Uh, a young man named Sammy, his real name is Samir, he's Middle Eastern, he's a slick talker, a ladies' man, and he speaks multiple languages. And then there's Charlie, tall and thin, he's Scottish, and he is a heavy drinker, but he also is an expert marksman. And then the final member of this little band is called Chief, and he is a Native American. Like I said, it's a motley crew, uh, but their mission ends up being funded by one of the men in British intelligence whose name is Sir Patrick. So Steve and Sammy and Charlie and Chief and Wonder Woman make their way toward the front line. And as they go, they go past all this devastation. It's a war-torn area, they see houses that are damaged and they see just people's lives that are destroyed and Diana's heart is broken when she sees the misery and the pain that's all around her. She wants to help everyone that she sees, but Steve tells her, we can't save everyone. We have a mission here. We need to stick with the mission. And she accuses him of playing small and tells him that she's tired of doing nothing. She's going to do something. And so I want you to watch this clip of how she responds to him. And again, it's her heart. It's her deep love. It's her compassion for others that calls her, that spurs her into action And as she leads the way, her action inspires the others to join her in the fight. It's this huge battle, but in the end, they end up saving the town that had been caught in the midst of it, and they have time to to celebrate and spend time with these people. They've made a difference in their lives. But they continue on, and they get to the heart of the battle, and Diana, when she gets there, is convinced that the German general Ludendorff is Ares, that Ludendorff is the god of war. Ludendorff has stopped the Germans from entering into the armistice, and he's pushing ahead with using the nerve gas that was created by Dr. Maru. Ludendorff is evil, and so Diana battles him to the death in this tower that's on the property where they're manufacturing the nerve gas. And after she finally takes him out, she breathes a sigh of relief, and she's kind of like waiting to see what's going to happen because it's supposed to be peaceful except it's not peaceful. She looks around and it's, everything's still going on the way it was before, and she's just devastated. She is just devastated. You see, Diana is learning that just like in the real world, evil has many faces. It's obvious to us it's evil when we see innocents who are being bombed or children who are being trafficked into human slavery or dictators who have plenty and they have people who are starving. But evil can also be subtle, and and where we least expect it. And evil can also be sly and deceitful. It can be as simple as a manager or a boss asking us to do something unethical or illegal, or a friend in school asking us to cheat on a test or join in making fun of or bullying another person. Evil may even convince us to not take action when our hearts are calling us to act. Diana is willing to stand up to evil in the world because of her heart, And because of her love. The Apostle Paul wrote letters in the New Testament to churches that he had begun. And he writes to a church in Rome. um, And they are surrounded by evil. They are surrounded by things that test them and challenge them. And what he writes to them, this is in the 8th chapter, verses 38 and 39 of Paul's letter to the church at Rome. He says to them, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. He has named everything. He has named everything. None of that will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. No matter what's going on around you, no matter how you're tempted or tested or the evil that surrounds you, God's love is there. God's made that covenant with us and God is faithful Nothing is going to separate us from the love that God has for each of us. It's an anchor that we can hold on to each and every day. It's a source for everyday living. God is faithful, and that love will never fail. And then there comes the grand finale of this film. The ultimate battle takes place between Diana and Ares. Now remember, Ares is the god of war. Ares works to turn humans against each other. Works to poison their hearts and create conflict and war. Do you remember Sir Patrick, that member of the British intelligence? Very proper British gentleman who secretly funded Steve Trevor's mission to stop the poison gas. Spoiler alert Sir Patrick is Ares, the god of war. He wasn't what we expect, he's not what Wonder Woman expected either but that's who he is. And so there's this huge battle scene between Diana and Ares when they realize, um, when she realizes that's who it is and she's going to battle against him. And while that's going on, Steve and this motley crew are over here trying to figure out what they're going to do with this plane that's loaded with poison nerve gas that's going to, it's on a timer, it's going to explode at some point in time. And if it does there, it will destroy all the people that around them And and beyond that, uh, they have someone who's going to fly it over a particular area, and it will do damage there. And they're trying to figure out the best way to deal with this. And Steve Trevor steps up, and he commandeers that plane, and he flies it out. He first says goodbye to Diana um, and tells her, you know, he's sorry they didn't have more time, that he loves her. But then he goes, and he gets on the plane, and he takes it out over the ocean and, and ends up. Uh, exploding the plane and giving up his life to save other lives. And in the midst of this, there's this battle going on, and and Ares is trying to convince Diana how evil humans are. They're not worth your—they don't deserve you. They're not worthy to be saved by you. Why are you doing this? And she actually has the opportunity to kill Dr. Maru, and their eyes lock. They see each other, and you can see Diana seeing her as a real person, a real human being— and she can't do it. She can't do it. Even though Ares is just, you know, coaxing her on, you know, challenging her. You need to do this. You need to do this. And, and she just can't do it. So she goes back into battle with Ares. And she ends up taking him out instead. But before she does that, she says to him, Um, That she has spent her time with these men, and while they're far from perfect, she says to them, You are wrong about them. You are wrong about them. They're everything you say, but so much more. Yes, they're flawed. Yes, they're, you know, far from perfect. Yes, they make mistakes, but there's so much more. It's not about deserve, it's about what you believe, and I believe in love. It's not about deserve that sounds like grace to me. Doesn't that sound like grace to you? Unmerited favor, what we can't earn from God. Aren't we fortunate that we believe in a God who doesn't give us what we deserve? Where would we all be if we got what we deserved? Where would we be? God offers us what none of us will be able, ever able to earn, unmerited favor. God offers us grace God loves us and nothing, absolutely nothing will separate us from that love. We can't be good enough. We can't do enough. We can't give enough. It's just there for us, waiting for us. It's always there for us. And if you haven't accepted that grace for yourself, I pray that you will do so this morning, that you will say to God, yes, I know you love me and I want to love you back. I want you to be a part of my life. And then she says it's about what you believe. What do you believe? Do you believe in a God who loves you? A God who loves you no matter where you have been in your life, no matter what you have done in your life? God loves each and every one of us. And so how do we respond to that amazing, marvelous love? There's a letter in the back of the Old Testament, uh, 1 John four nineteen. It's a very simple letter. Simple passage, simple scripture. We love because God first loved us. We respond to that love that God has for us by loving others. Will you say it with me? We love because God first loved us. Our response is to love, to love God and to love others. Uh, Richard Rohr' de- uh, devotion this week spoke about um, that we're called to be the body of Christ in the world which means we, we share the call to be the embodiment of God's love to the world. We represent God's love to the world. We love because God first showed love to us and we're called to show that to the world. So what does that look like? We need to show God's love, not in a romantic, mushy, soft kind of love. That's not the kind of love I'm talking about. I'm talking about a love that's willing to take risks, that's willing... To move into action. So what does that action look like for you? Where is God calling you to show that love in the world today? Where is God calling you to battle the forces of evil in our world? Does your heart break to think of children and women and men being sold as property, human trafficking? Does your heart break to think about people around the world who don't have clean drinking water or don't have enough food to eat? Does your heart break when you see immigrant children being separated from families at our borders? Does your heart break to think of people living in roach-infested houses in Charlotte or living on the street because we just don't have enough affordable housing for people? Or does your heart break to think that there are people in Charlotte, North Carolina, who don't know what you and I know, who don't know the love of God Uh, a God who sent Jesus into the world for us. Does that break your heart? Maybe you have something else on your heart, but I want to tell you a story about um, something that happened just last night, uh, kind of unexpected. I um, went to hear with some other folks the story of a young couple who have been called into the mission field. They've been called to be missionaries. Their hearts broke to think that there were people around the world who had not yet heard of Jesus Christ. And this is a young couple. They have a son who's 12, a son who's 10, and a son who's 6. They spent three and a half years in Cambodia, and that's where the youngest son was born. They came home for a couple of years. They were, it was a very hard place to serve, and they got really burned out from that with small children. So they came home, and they spent a couple of years trying to figure out, okay, where is it God wants me to be? These, these are people who left jobs and went back to school, went to seminary, to be able to go to the mission field. These are people who had sacrificed, and they prayed for two years. And the last, for about 15 months, they, they've been home since March. They've been serving in Albania, very impoverished country. It was an atheistic country. They have a great opportunity to share the gospel there. And these were humble, um, just sweet, kind, sincere people. God placed a call on their heart to be able to go and share that news. And I'm not saying that God's calling you to go to Cambodia or Albania or someplace around the world, but God does call us to make a difference in our world. God loves us and wants us to share that love with others. We love because God first loved us. You know, it's easy to love the people that we know and we like. That's not hard to do. It's harder to love the people that we don't even know and even harder to know the people that seem to be unlovable. But God calls us to love them just as God loves us when sometimes we're not very lovable. Not the mushy, sentimental kind of love, but a love that says you matter because you are God's beloved child, and that makes you my brother or my sister. We love because God first loved us. So where is it that God's calling you to put your love to work in our world? Diana had a heart for people that led her to take action to end the conflict that was taking place. It was her love that drove her to make a difference. And it was her love coupled with courage that gave others the courage to follow as well. There are plenty of places in our world where the love that you know the love that you have experienced in a relationship with God can make a difference. Where will you put love into action? I challenge you, I invite you, I encourage you this week to be prayerful, to be open to where God might be calling you. It could be, it could be around the world. I don't know what God has in mind for you. Or it could be right in your own backyard. A need that's there, a way that you can respond with the resources that you have, with the gifts that God has given you. I want to ask you one question, close with one question. Who will you be if you don't go? Who will you be if you don't respond? Let us pray. Gracious and merciful God, we give you thanks for your love for us and for the call that you place on our lives. We just pray that you will give us the courage and the strength to follow where, it, where you have called us trusting that you will give us exactly what we need to be your people in that place. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray, amen.